0: Uh, This morning we're continuing our Truth Shaped series, and we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. If you are in the uh, pew Bibles, the the Bibles underneath your benches there, we're going to be on page 1016, 1016. Um, We are talking about being shaped by the truth, shaped by the truth of God's Word. And today we're talking about truth-shaped community. We're talking about the church those who are called out of this world to worship and to serve the one true and living God. We are to be a truth-shaped community. I, as long as I can remember, I, I love the church. I know that, that sounds weird and strange, but I love the institution of the church. Like the Sunday morning gathering, that thing, I love it. And as far back as I can remember, I've loved it. Whenever I was a child growing up, I'm sure there were days when my parents drugged me to church because that's what parents do. They make their kids do important things that they don't want to do. But at some point, I think it was at least somewhere in high school, man, I just fell in love with it, loved everything about it. I loved the singing, I loved the preaching, I loved like, seeing other believers. And even as I went to college and I started this process of like searching for a church, this is strange, but I love the process of looking for a new church. Some of you are saying, well, you should join the army. We get to do that a lot. <laughs> but but I, I love that process. I love to see, well, how do they do their announcements? How do they welcome? Um, what type of songs do they sing? How does a preacher form his service? I just love that aspect of the church. Um, and so today we want to talk about this church that I love. Now, I love the church in general, but I, I specifically love this body. I specifically love Grace Bible Church. Um, I know I had some great experiences growing up, but I've also had some rough experiences in church. Uh, it all hasn't been roses. Uh, uh, we, we've, I've struggled through some churches before. Uh, before I came to Grace, man, I was deeply wounded in a church. And one of the things I love about this church is, is the unity that we have uh, in our elders, that they are of one mind, that they are godly men who lead us well. Um, they're the type of men that as, as a pastor, youth pastor, I, I gladly submit to them uh, because of that. And as a result, I see a body that is unified in the gospel. Uh, so we want to talk about the church this morning. We uh, want to talk about the believers who are called out of this world to serve the true and living God. So what is the purpose of the church? Um, I really view the church's purpose as that of a missionary outpost. A missionary outpost. That makes me think right now of, of one of our own. Uh, as a youth pastor, I love getting to see kids grow up, and I've been here long enough. I've seen some like start like before junior high, and now they're in college and moving on. Some are graduated, some are married. Goodness. Uh, We have one of our own right now, Nalia Aracca, who's in Guatemala. She's in college right now, and and she's going to be wrapping that up next year. And she is now like an official Camino missionary, right? And she's down there perfecting her her mastery of the language. She's down there uh, working with the churches and the pastors that we work with on a yearly basis. And so she's almost functioning for us as a missionary outpost. We can't be there but she's there for us, engaging and interacting and learning the culture. Uh, not only is she serving as that type of missionary outpost, we as Grace Bible Church also serve as another type of missionary outpost. Uh, we're not in a foreign country. Obviously, we're, we're in our own country. We're in our own community. But we are a missionary outpost for God where he has put us out in the world. He has given us a, a mission, and we are living sometimes in a hostile environment uh, we are living for the kingdom of God. We're a missionary outpost. It makes me think of, of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the concept of the FOB, uh, the uh, is it forward operating base, if my acronyms serve me correctly. It's, it's the, the used a lot in Iraq, uh, but there, were, there was like the main uh, base that they operated out. But out there, on the, on, on the reaches of that base, you had these forward operating bases as a community of men and women who are serving uh, on a mission. And they are oftentimes in a much more hostile area. And th- that's what the church is. Uh, and, and in a large sense, we are, we are out there on the edges. We are living in an environment that's not always uh, happy to have us around, that doesn't always like our message, but we are out there as a witness for Christ. The church is a missionary outpost. It is, it is our it is our purpose. It is our mission. So today in First Peter chapter 4, we're going to be reading about this missionary outpost. And, and we want to learn three different things from this text. We want to learn three different things about truth-shaped communities. We want to learn that truth-shaped communities are founded on and are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, that truth-shaped communities live holy lives as a witness to the world. And thirdly, that truth-shaped communities love and serve one another. So let's, let's read what Peter, the Word of God, has to say about these type of communities. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live For the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Verse 5. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. When he says the gospel was preached to the dead, he's talking about Christians who were alive. They heard the gospel, they received the gospel, and then they died. Not actually preaching the gospel to dead people. Just quick, quick clarification. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray Pray that you help us with this text. It can be a complicated text, it can be a hard text with some hard sayings. But Lord, let us approach your word with confidence, knowing that it is true. May we approach it with humility, Lord, knowing that you are God and that we are not. Father, may we receive the word you have for us this day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The first thing that we want to look at in this text is that truth-shaped communities are founded on and are shaped by the gospel. That we are founded on and are shaped by the gospel. We see this in verses 1 and 2 where he really focuses on the suffering of Christ. But one of the things I love about 1 Peter is that Peter is like the single-minded type of guy. He's, just, he's like a laser beam, and I love him for it. I kind of feel like sometimes I'm the same way. Uh, I'm, I'm just focused, much to the pain of people around me. But I'm, I'm just simple that way, uh, and so I love I love looking at the context of First Peter of how we are to be founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to show you a few verses that point to this in the book of First Peter. We see the first one one page over in First Peter chapter one, verse three. When he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ is our living hope. He died and he was resurrected, and we are founded on that. One chapter over in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then again in verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. And then in 3.18, Peter continues on, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, and being made alive in the Spirit. What Peter does in these few verses sprinkled throughout this small letter is he gives us a very clear but very good picture of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That this God-man, Jesus Christ, was sent to earth to live the holy life, to die for our sins, and to be resurrected. And what this Jesus is doing is he's calling people to himself to form the church of God to form his people. We who were once not a people have now become his people. This is the gospel message that we are founded on. As some of you struggle with, with loving God and following God, you struggle in fighting your sins. I mean, one of the things I'd encourage you to do, this, this list of verses, Peter 1.3, 2.10, 2.24, 3.18, write those down. Memorize those. Because these verses is what your life is founded on. These verses are what we use to fight sin because this, this Jesus that it portrays is so much more beautiful than the sin that, that tempts us with. So, so memorize these verses. This is what the church is founded on, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think there are other forms of the church out there. When we look at ourselves, we say we are a missionary outpost but I think there are a couple other types or forms of churches that exist out there in the world today. Some people don't view the church as a missionary outpost, but what they do rather is they view the church as a fortress. They view the church as this place where they can run to, where they can retreat to, where they look out at the world. They're appalled at the wickedness. They are appalled at the evil, and they run behind the walls of the church. But one of the things that the fortress model of the church does is it gets it, it, gets it wrong because it's not fully based on the foundation of Christ. Because what happens in this fortress model of the church is we begin to get a us versus them mentality. mentality. We are holy. They are evil. And what this fortress model does is that we, we miss seeing our own sin the church that is based on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the church that is based on the gospel, we're supposed to do two different things. We're supposed to trust this message of the gospel, and we are to repent of our sins. This fortress model of the church where we say the world is evil and we want to flee from it, and we want to hide behind our own walls and, and have our own community forget about them, we don't realize that when we run behind the walls of the church, we're bringing the evil of the world with us because our hearts are just as broken. We have evil in us as well. The fortress model refuses to recognize their own sin, and they refuse to live on mission for God. We're a missionary outpost. We're not, we're not a fortress to hide behind. I think on the other end of the spectrum, if, if on one end of the spectrum, this church that is founded on Jesus Christ, we have the, 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 the wrong idea that the church is a fortress, I think we also have the other extreme, right? If we have Fortress over there on this side, we have, we have a type of church that seeks to be like uber-relevant. Um, my spell check didn't know what to do with the word uber. It is a word, right? Okay, good. All right, it's a good word. All right, good. But it's a church that seeks to be uber-relevant. And what, what this church does is this church is like pursuing so much acceptance. They want to be seen as relevant by the world. They want to be accepted by the world. They want to be loved by the world. And so what they do is they eventually lose the distinctives of what it means to be a Christian church. What they end up doing is they focus on Jesus' love, but they neglect the Father's holiness. They focus on Jesus' acceptance of sinners, but they neglect to talk about the Father's judgment. Just like the fortress model, they completely lose the church's mission of reaching the world for Christ and they completely miss this concept of repentance. Because for them the only sin becomes that of intolerance. The only sin becomes that of, of not accepting other people. And if as long as you're doing that there's nothing any longer to repent of what we have to do if we are to be a true shake community founded on the gospel is we have to recognize that we are sinners. And it's quite true that like Paul, each and every one of us can say, I'm the chief of sinners. And what the gospel calls us to do is to recognize that sin and then believe in the truth that Christ died as a sacrifice for that sin and we repent of our sins. If a church is built on anything other than that foundation, it ceases to be the church. So we're called out, we're built on this foundation of the gospel message. One of the things I would ask you, and, and I know at our, the church I grew up in, in fact, the churches I served in, uh, man, there's there's always this concept of an invitation, right? Any, any of y'all like, been through an invitation before? Oh yeah, okay, some of us have. Uh, They can can be beautiful things. They can be things that are manipulative. Uh, But one of the things I appreciated about them is that there is always a chance to respond to the gospel. There's always a chance to say, you know what, I do recognize that I'm living in rebellion against God, and I recognize that I need to repent of my sins. I need to turn from them, and I need to pursue Christ. One of the things that each and every one of us need to do in this room is we need to have our own personal invitation. And we need to ask that question of where do I stand with God? Does God, this holy God, who loves us so much he sent his own son to die for us, but this God who is going to stand in the judgment of man, does this God count me his friend? None of us are holy enough to be counted as his friend on our own. If you are sitting there and you're thinking, man, I'm an enemy of God. There's no way he can see me as his friend. Man, come, come talk to me afterwards. Uh, I see some of our elders here. Uh, Brian Dosa, he can raise his hand there. There's Mike Harris, he's over there. Look, find one of these guys at the Deacon Bad John. Just find somebody and, and talk with them about that. It might be that today, God is calling you out of death and into life. And that's a beautiful thing. We need to be a church that is founded on this truth of the gospel. But we also need to be shaped by the same gospel. I know we use the word a lot, gospel. We're saying gospel all the time, right? It's kind of a, 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 like a catchphrase word in our, in our Christian circles today. And it's a great word. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. But this is what it means when people say we need to be gospel-centered. This is what it means to be gospel-centered. Listen to what, listen to what Peter says in, in a, for, chapter 4, verse 1. He's saying, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So what it means to be gospel-centered is that we have repented of our sins. We have fallen in love with Christ And we pursue Christ so much that our thinking ceases to be our thinking. That we are now controlled by Christ and we think the way that he would think. He says this in the book of of Philippians chapter 2. Have in yourselves the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Peter is saying it here by saying arm yourself with the same type of thinking as that of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be gospel-centered, that we are so immersed in the gospel that we begin to think and we begin to act in the same way as that of Christ. And how did Christ think and how did Christ act? Here it talks about how he suffered to destroy sin. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Christ became obedient, even obedient to the point of death. He's obedient to the Father. So whenever we are gospel-centered people, we think the way Christ thinks and we become obedient to the point of death. We become obedient regardless of what it costs us. What we try to do is we strive, we, we try and we strive to be holy. This is not something that we can do on our own. This is something that the spirit births in us and enables us to do. Because on our own, we we don't want holiness. We want to pursue our own passions, our own desires. But this is what it means to be shaped by the gospel. That we have repented of our sins, that we are trusting in the gospel message, and now we are forming our lives to look like Christ. That's what we are founded on. That is what we are shaped by. Listen to what Peter says. I I think this is so good. He says in verse 2, So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We're no longer living our life by our gut. Like, this is what I want, so that's what I'm going to pursue. But now what we do is we now live our lives by the will of God. I, I know, just a quick survey here. Uh, who here wants to know the will of God, right? All right. Who doesn't? Who here who, who loves Jesus hasn't like laid awake at night thinking, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? What should I do? What decision should I make? And, and it consumes us. When right here in God's Word, written so clearly for us, the Bible tells us what the will of God is. The will of God is not following your human passion, your fleshly desire, but the will of God is living a life of holiness. Oftentimes when we think about the will of God, we think about the course of our life, where we should go, what job to take. Should I accept this, this offer I have? And we think of the will of God in, in that type of mindset. But for Peter, and I think for the rest of the New Testament, in James chapter 4 as well, the will of God has a lot to do with your character and has little to do with your course. All right, let me say that again because this is important. The will of God has a lot to do with your character and has very little to do with your course. If you are pursuing Christ, if you are pursuing holiness, if you are saying no to sin and yes to doing good, I want to tell you something. God is happy with you. And you are living in the will of God. Regardless of what appointment you accept, regardless of what college you go to, regardless of what city you live in, if you are pursuing holiness, you're living in the will of God. There's that great verse in the book of Proverbs chapter 19 I believe it is in in his heart man like plans his steps but it's it's the Lord that directs them who are we to think that we can mess up God's plans are we that big I mean really are we so big and so powerful that we can look at God and say I'm going to mess your plans up We, we can't do that we're not big enough to do that. We're not strong enough to do that. God's will will be done. And God's will for you is that you live and pursue and strive for holiness. Peter says this again in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Truth-shaped communities are founded on and are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We strive to live holy lives, and this leads us to our second point. That truth-shaped communities live holy lives as witness to the world. Verses 3-6. Uh, through six. Let's read those again. The time... That his past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh. The way all people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. There's no doubt that the reason the church of God strives for holiness is because we have been saved by and we serve a holy and living God. That's why we ultimately strive for holiness. But what Peter says here is that there's another reason we strive for holiness because we are not striving for holiness behind these walls of a fortress but rather we are striving for holiness out there in the world. And we are striving for holiness as, as a sign for other people to see. Paul says in the book of Titus chapter 2, verse 10, that whenever we are striving for holiness, what we are doing is we are adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. That whenever we strive for holiness out there in the world, what we are doing as the people of God is that we are We are showing them the beauty of the gospel. We are lending credibility to that which we say we believe. This is what Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What Scripture is calling us to do, what Peter is calling us to do, is to stop living the way that we used to live. He's saying it's sufficient. It's like when it's like when my beautiful, perfect little children are are sinning. You know they do that, and I say it's enough. It, it's sufficient. You, you, can, you can you can stop. That's enough. That's what Peter's saying. It, it's enough. Stop sinning. Stop living the way you used to live, and strive for holiness. He is telling us to stop being driven by human passions. and I look at this list, I feel like Peter could be writing to us today. And the reason is because though the times have changed and though the borders around countries have changed, one thing has not changed, and that's people. People haven't changed. We still fight this indwelling sin that lives within us. And so regardless of time, regardless of culture, people are the same. And he is telling us to stop living in this way. He, as reading, I think, how could I summarize these, these sins that he's listing? I think we can summarize them in three different things. Uh, human passions, sexual immorality, and excess. That's what he's telling us to flee from. Sexual sin, human passions, and excess. One of the things that we have to do is we have to review our lives and say, in what way am I living out my human passions, my sexual sin? In what way am I living in excess? One of the things that we love to do with sin, and this is much to our sin, is what we do is we like to say, where is the line of sin? You know, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning don't we do that every day we do this and we say all right i just want to make sure i'm not sinning there i'm going to draw that line and i'm going to get as close to that line as possible and what happens when we get close to that line and we end up stepping over it all the time
1: because what it
0: says about us is whenever we say i'm going to draw a line so i can know how close i can get to that sin what is that ultimately saying It's saying, I want to be close to that sin because I desire that sin. I love that sin. I enjoy that sin. And what Peter and what Scripture is saying is that it's enough. It's enough. Stop. Stop sinning. It won't satisfy you. It's lying to you. And what you need to do is pursue holiness instead. Now is, is, is a decent time uh, to talk a, a little bit about what's happened this week with the, with the Supreme Court. Um, right now, uh, homosexuality is, is is large in the media. I think we can be very, very quick to jump on bandwagons. We can be very quick to repost something on Facebook. Very close. Very quick to to speak in anger. Uh, I think we need to slow down and say how ought we respond to our culture whenever our culture embraces sin. I've got five things that we need to do. Five ways that we need to respond whenever our culture embraces sin. Something that we shouldn't be surprised when culture does. First of all, What are we to do? We're to be holy. We need to live consistently with what the Bible teaches. It's very easy for the church to condemn homosexuality, that sexual sin, but then overlook something like living together or premarital sex. The bottom line is they're both sins. The bottom line is they both separate us from a holy living God bring judgment upon us. So we need to make sure that we are living holy and consistent lives. We need to follow what Jesus said in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, before before you make a judgment, make sure you get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of someone else's eye, right? So if you are consumed by by pornography, if you are consumed with reuniting a, a a flame, an old flame, while you're married to someone else. And we, instead of need to be angry at the world, need to be on our knees in repentance. We need to be holy. Secondly, we need to be humble rather than proud. I see oftentimes First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through eleven being quoted right now. This is what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's oftentimes where people stop. Let's read one more verse. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We need to be humble in our response, not proud, not proud. We need to be brokenhearted for people who have embraced their son so much that they cannot see the truth of God. If we approach conversations in humility and in broken hardness for the other per, hard, hard, broken, hardness, broken heartness for the other person, man, it's going to change the tone of the conversation. So we need to be humble. We need to be holy. We need to be loving. Sarcasm doesn't win people to Christ. It pushes them away. No one has had their arm twisted into the kingdom of God. We need to love people. Fourthly, we need to be prayerful. We need to be prayerful because our hope is not in nine men in black robes. Our hope is not in a man who sits in an oval office. Our hope is not in a house of Congress or in a political candidate. Our hope is in God and God alone. And when our hope is in God and God alone, then we are not hopeless, but we are hopeful, for we know that he shall return and bring about his kingdom. So we need to be prayerful for that day. And finally, we should be truthful. Truth is not relative. Truth is not dependent upon the opinion of one individual. But truth is found in the words of God. And if we... Are to be loving. We are to be humble. We are to be truthful. We had to realize that, that that lying to somebody and not being truthful is, is is not loving to them, but rather it's condemning to them. So let's make sure, as we live in this world where where sin is embraced and lawlessness is embraced, that we respond appropriately and holiness as God's people. And Peter says in this chapter that people respond in a couple different ways. One of the ways that people will respond is that they will be surprised. They'll be surprised that we don't join in with their lawlessness. And they'll do one of two things. They'll either see your holiness and hear the truth and the love and the hum- humility you speak with, and they'll repent and believe the good news. Or as Peter says in chapter four, verses three through six, they will marginalize and malign you. But one thing is true from verses 6. It tells us that they are not our judge, that God is our judge. And we are answerable and accountable to him. All right, I've got five minutes for my last point. I'm I'm taking my sweet time here, aren't I? Truth-shaped communities, not only are we founded on and are shaped by the gospel, not only do we live holy lives as a witness to the world, But truth-shaped communities love and serve one another. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Very quickly, and and Peter's kind to me here because he gives us the applications we are to live. So let's just jump straight to those. How ought the church of God, how ought this local community interact with one another? He tells us, love, hospitality, and service. This is a word for agape love. This is a self-sacrificing type of love. If you are living with people in this room, you come from different states, different backgrounds, different races, uh, different opinions, and there is no doubt that as, the closer you get to somebody in this body of believers, you're going to butt heads with them. But what Peter calls us to do, <laughs> is to love one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. What this tells me is that we need to be forgiving to one another. This tells me that when somebody offends us, we ought to give them the benefit of the doubt rather than jumping straight into offensive, aggressive behavior. Right? That, that's what love does. When my... When, uh, my wife gives me the benefit of the doubt all the time and i thank her for it but but that's how we ought to interact with with one another we ought to love and forgive and give one another the benefit of the doubt jesus said it's by our love that that people will know that that we are his our love for one another is also our witness to the world next he says that we need to be hospitable without grumbling i think in our culture today um, being an introvert is in vogue, right? Uh, it's, it's impossible for 100 percent of our population, with the exception of the three extroverts, uh, say, "I'm an introvert. We can't all be introverts. It doesn't work that way. Uh, but what happens? I think there, there is a cultural trend for us to isolate ourselves, and we are out of the practice of engaging with other people. Notice what Peter says here. He doesn't say, "If you have the spiritual gift of hospitality, be hospitable." He just straight up says, be hospitable. Be hospitable. You know, it's fine to open up your home even though you haven't dusted in six months. It's fine. We're all about being real here, right? It's, go ahead and do that. Invite somebody out to lunch after church. Get to know them. Take them out to Miller's Barbecue and, and, and Belton. Show them what good Texas barbecue is like, right? But be hospitable and do it without grumbling because that's what we're also tempted to do. We are by nature, by being sinners, we like to grumble and we like to complain. But he says, whenever you show hospitality and that person you show hospitality leaves the shot of your voice, you don't turn around and start complaining, but you start rejoicing. So we love one another, we show hospitality, and then we serve one another. I got 30 seconds to do this one, but it's a complex verse. So let's do this. All right. Serving one another. He really gives out two different ways that we serve one another. We can serve one another in word, and we can serve one another in deed. Whenever he talks about uh, speaking the oracles of God, whoever... Whoever speaks, speaks as one who has the oracles of God. This is talking about teachers in our body of Christ. Maybe not people who stand behind the pulpit and teach, but he's talking about small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, covenant group people who, who can communicate and teach the word of God. And what he is saying is whenever you teach, if you're one of these people, he's saying whenever you teach God's word, if you want to love the body of Christ, it's not your opinion that you are sharing, but rather it is the words of God. That's what we want to communicate. That's the way that we serve the body if, if you fall in that category. He said the other, he, he basically gives you two, two categories to fall in. You can be the teacher of the word or you can be one that serves. He's saying if you serve, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We need people who are willing to cook a meal for someone who just had a baby or lost a loved one. We need people who will say, you know what, I'll go up to the church and change light bulbs. We need people who will say, man, we have someone who's shut up in their house and they need their yard mowed. We need people who are willing to serve the physical needs of the body and serve in such a way that it's not through our own strength that we are doing it, but through the strength that God supplies. This is what a truth-shaped community looks like. And the church, this truth-shaped community, Peter gives us why we do it all. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and dominion forever. It is this God who has dominion over heaven and earth that we serve and we are to be his people called out of the world for the world and loving the church. That's who we're to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness and into light. We thank you, Lord, that we belong to you. And so, Father, it's my prayer that as we leave this place that we'll connect with one another and that when we go out into this world, we'll live holy lives for your namesake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise for the benediction. Church of God, who've been called out of your sin and brought into new life, by Jesus Christ. It's my prayer and my hope that you go out and be holy as the one who has called you is holy. You're dismissed.